From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, May 28th. Today we're going to focus on this week's stunning news that rocked Exxon, Chevron, and Shell. It's Big Oil's Big Reckoning. Helping me unpack the earth-shaking, or should I say climate-stabilizing, shareholder revolt are Impact Alpha's David Bank and Amy Cortese. So, Amy and David, is it earth-shaking or climate-stabilizing? Climate-stabilizing. Uh, earth-shaking, Brian. Great. Well, before we dig into that story, here's what else you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. The Local Initiative Support Corporation, or LISC, closed its $250 million Black Economic Development Fund, which will catalyze capital for racial equity. LISC raised corporate contributions from the likes of Netflix, PayPal, Costco, DuPont, and others. LISC is already putting the fund to work in community development finance institutions and Black-owned banks, as well as affordable and workforce housing. And Collab Capital, based in Atlanta, closed its $50 million Black Innovation Fund. This week marks the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd and the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, which destroyed the prosperous Black Wall Street District in Tulsa. On a special Reconstruction podcast, my Impact Briefing co-host Monique Aiken spoke with Tiffany Crutcher, founder of the Terrence Crutcher Foundation, and Greg Robinson of Tulsa's MetCares Foundation to reflect on the impact of the massacre on survivors and descendants. Sustainability in global agriculture increasingly runs through smallholder farmers. In Indonesia, Tani Hub Group secured $66 million to help farmers reach customers and grow their income. In Latin America, Produce Pay raised $43 million to finance and connect growers, distributors, and suppliers of fresh produce. And on Impact Alpha's Agents of Impact call this week, members of three wealthy families talked about how to mobilize catalytic capital for all of the above, racial justice, smallholder farmer agriculture, and climate action. Here's Kenny Ars Diane Eisenberg. We have no constraints. We're rich. You know, it's a, you know, it's a very different sort of, I, I feel we're in a different place and I personally feel we have different responsibilities than um, institutions that do have fiduciary requirements. Impact Alpha will have a full report on the Agents of Impact call next week. Now, Amy, you've been covering the shareholder uprising on ExxonMobil for weeks. It came to a head earlier this week in dramatic fashion. So what exactly happened? Yeah, Brian, I think after years of frustration with Exxon and its lack of a climate uh, energy transition policy, shareholder frustration boiled over this week and shareholders elected two new directors, possibly three, to Exxon's board. So that's the, you know, the highest level of management at this company and could really shake up uh, their strategy going forward. Um, they're going to have to take climate change more seriously and actually start doing something about it. And these uh, two, potentially three board seats out of 12 means that there are now people that don't deny climate change who are going to be running the world's largest oil company. Right, exactly. And and Exxon has some pretty smart people on the board, but for some reason, um, their CEOs have always held a weird sway over them. And none of them had uh, energy experience or oil experience until very recently. There's one. So that was part of the problem. So this upstart activist um, investor hedge fund, Engine Number 1, 
launched this campaign just in December to put people with energy experience and real, you know, critical business transition experience onto the board. And, and that's what happened. All right. So before we move on, David, can you just explain to me what an activist investor is? Well, yeah, Brian, as you say, you know, activists, you know, people might think social activists, activist investor traditionally in corporate proxy fights meant the kind of hedge funds and others that would get in, buy a stake and try to force management to do things to reward shareholders with, you know, buybacks or dividends or various kinds of restructuring plans. These kind of activists have a strategy around climate change. But what's interesting is they're actually couching it in shareholder value uh, language, um, just like those other activists. Uh, They're saying that Exxon had to change its strategy in order to safeguard the long-term value of shareholders. may have had a social component or environmental component to it and intention behind it, but actually they were couching it all in shareholder value. And that's how they, in fact, got the majority of shareholders to vote alongside them. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at Exxon's financial performance over the past um, decade almost, you know, its market cap has been almost cut in half. It lost $22 billion um, last year when Engine Number One started up this campaign. So they've been a financial laggard until recently. Their share price has rebounded with the price of oil, but I think there is a lot of frustration about um, some of the capital allocation decisions they've made that weren't very smart. Um, They invested in a lot of high cost oil and gas projects. And so they've they've lagged um, not only the S&P, but also their peers. And so that gave engine number one an opening to go in there. And as David said, you know, their their argument was that Exxon was destroying value and it had no credible strategy going forward in this world that is changing around us as we move to a low carbon economy. Brian, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, Exxon is so iconic. It's a, a descendant of you know, uh, uh, you know, John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil. It's the largest U.S. oil company. And what this really signals is that the end game has just begun. I mean, this culminated a long campaign, as Amy's been reporting. But really, now we're 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 starting now. How do you unwind a major oil company in the transition to the low carbon, zero net zero? economy and the the strategic battle now that will happen on Exxon's board will be just titanic in terms of, you know, um, I mean, the, the International Energy Agency, Amy also reported this week, you know, said, you know, it's required to stop oil and gas investment immediately in order to get to net zero and, and forestall the, you know, the worst effects of climate change. And that means, you know, huge decisions and changes in the capital expenditures and, and you know, drilling bu- exploration budgets of, of companies like Exxon. So, you know, billions of dollars of corporate investment uh, going forward are, are at stake. And, and that will now, you know, have a forum, not just, you know, activists in the street and, and whatnot, but literally on in Exxon's boardroom. Exxon is to climate activists, one of the biggest, baddest oil companies around. And to have this kind of change happen at this big, bad oil company is, is truly stunning, quite frankly. And so what are the larger implications for this? If, if Exxon is uh, gettable in this kind of activist campaign, uh, what does that mean for, for other companies? 
Yeah, I'm not sure anyone thought that engine number one, this tiny little hedge fund, would actually win. Um, they did rack up a lot of support from some of the biggest investors around the world, including BlackRock, the largest um, asset manager. But more broadly, to your point, I think you know the the thought is that. If you can win at Exxon and if you can affect change at Exxon, you can do that at any company. So if you're a climate laggard, you've now been put on alert. There's actually a, a sort of a nuance here, which is that there was another activist hedge fund um, that earlier uh, was taking on Exxon and a deal was cut earlier this year. And so Exxon agreed to put a couple other board members on um one is named Jeffrey Ubbin. He's known to Impact Alpha readers because he runs something called Inclusive Capital Partners, um, and they cut a deal and got and and he's on the board of Exxon as well. He also has, a, I think, an understanding of the sort of changes that are needed. He kind of played an inside game. Engine number one kind of played an outside game. Um, but now there's going to have, you know, kind of not only, you know, sort of Exxon management loyalists and, and these new insurgents, but you sort of got a third camp as well. And so Darren Wood, the CEO of Exxon, is going to have his hands full at these board meetings trying to sort of um, figure out how to navigate now this low carbon transition, which is was not really what I think he was, you know, aiming for. Um, uh, he thought he could, you know, play it out. Exxon's projections said, you know, oil demand will rebound or, you know, our oil business and gas business will be healthy. Don't listen to those naysayers about um, this this net zero future. Now, you know, he's going to be hard pressed to, to maintain that position. You talk about the inside game and the outside game, but now the outside game is the inside game with, with the directors uh, on the board. Now, Amy, uh, Exxon wasn't the only company that faced shareholder engagement and activism this week. Uh, can you tell us about uh, what happened at Chevron? Yeah, Brian, it was a busy week. Um, oil and gas companies are under pressure from all quarters. At Chevron's shareholder meeting, uh, shareholders voted to have the company cut its its overall emissions and its absolute emissions. So not just what it um, emits when it's extracting oil, but all of the emissions from people using their oil, so driving their cars and whatnot. You're going to hear a lot more folks about scope three emissions. Yes. Um, similar proposals uh, were, were approved a, a couple of weeks earlier, by the way, at ConocoPhillips and Phillips 66. Um, but then you had some blockbuster news coming out of the Netherlands with uh, Royal Dutch Shell. There had been a, a court case and the judge ruled that Shell was responsible for contributing to climate change and ordered it to cut its emissions um, by 45% by the end of the decade. So Shell had had a, a goal to cut emissions by 20% by then. But So this is a significant acceleration of their plans. And again, they're talking about scope three emissions. So this is, you know, that's a lot of emissions to cut. So, David, we've talked about for many years now about the notion of stranded assets and the idea that uh, oil is going to become too expensive to to extract uh, because the social, environmental and financial cost of it was too high. Right. And it would have to be kept in the ground. Is 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 this the week that we're going to look back on and say, in retrospect, that this is the week that everything changed when these big oil companies finally faced the the future of stranded assets? Well, the stranded assets ha have already come a cropper. As Amy said, um, uh, Exxon wrote off about $22 billion worth of them last 
year. I think what we may find is that there's this is the beginning of the new strategy for these oil majors. I mean, Amy mentioned a few of them, but there have been some some leaders in in the oil field. BP has put out some ambitious targets. Total in France and others are known as kind of the leaders. Chevron and Exxon were known as kind of the laggards on this stuff. I think what we're going to find is that they move very quickly to figure out how to make some money on the other side. And you know, Exxon has made some noises about you know carbon capture and whatnot. But I think what they really want is to get paid off for all this oil that they have to leave in the ground. If that if that happens and there's a price on carbon and 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 leave it in the ground really becomes a, a strategy for um uh for unwinding these these oil companies and frankly for unwinding some of the petro states, you know, whether it's um Russia or Saudi Arabia as well, um, you know, it may it may be that the world ends up paying a lot of money to places like Exxon for not pumping the oil. And, you know, maybe for Exxon shareholders, you know, they're fine with that. So put it this way, we don't know quite how it's going to play out, but it's not going to be business as usual. Amy, help me understand then, is is this a, a week of good news Oh, for those concerned about climate change? Oh, for sure, Brian. Yeah, I mean, this has like been a blockbuster week and engine number one, you know, getting board directors onto Exxon is a huge David versus Goliath story that is going to reverberate far and wide. Um, so we're just at the beginning of that. Um, these new directors, and I do think the, the third candidate that they proposed will also um, make it onto Exxon's board once the final votes are certified. Um, but, you know, then the real strategy setting begins. But the fact is this, if you're an oil and gas company, it's just untenable anymore to continue expanding your oil and gas production. The IEA, which has been a, you know, the International Energy Agency, which has been a very conservative, uh, agency that has downplayed the role of renewables and, and the pace of their growth, for them to come out and say no new fossil fuels, I, I think that's, you know, argument over. Um, so I think all of these companies and not just oil and gas companies, any big emitter, the ground has shifted, you know, the rules are changing and they're all going to have to figure out very quickly what their role is in a low carbon world. Uh, so this was not just a big week for those who care about climate change, but it was also a big week for engine number one, this David versus Goliath hedge fund. Tell us about that. Yeah, Brian, you're absolutely right. This little upstart hedge fund that kind of came out of nowhere and in five months, you know, bagged the big, you know, game ExxonMobil, um, that certainly put them on the map. Um, I think we'll be hearing more from them. I think this sort of campaign is just part of what they'll do. But, you know, we made Charlie Penner, the guy who was behind this re-energize Exxon campaign that resulted in the uh, board shakeup. We made him our agent of impact this week. Um, he's been pretty low profile throughout all of this, but what he's pulled off is remarkable. And, and you know, the bigger story here is that what he's done is sort of provide a playbook for other, um, you know, shareholder activists who uh, want to see companies move more quickly. He chose a target that, you know, it had been formidable, but he, you know, he saw an opening because there was so much pent up um, investor frustration. So, you know, that could apply to a lot of companies. And I, I, I think you'll see a lot of um, 
you know, sort of activist investors kind of taking a look at, you know, whom they might go after. If ExxonMobil is vulnerable, then any company is vulnerable to this kind of campaign. So engine number one was perhaps the little engine that could. <laughs> you got it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for your impact briefing this week. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Amy, for all your great coverage. Sure. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for your impact briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. Impact Alpha subscribers make our journalism possible. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to Impact Alpha content. Now is a great time to subscribe. It's Impact Alpha's best deal of the year. New subscribers can get their first annual subscription half off. The deal ends soon, so head over to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening, and thanks to David Bank and Amy Cortese, as well as our fearless producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.